In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm sure you probably know this, I don't need to tell you, but water is one of the most destructive forces on earth. And on Good Friday in 1964, a massive earthquake occurred off the coast of Resurrection Bay in Alaska. And eyewitnesses as far as Seaside, Oregon, which is 1,400 miles away, report that the water along the coast was first sucked out to sea, exposing the mud at the Nakanaum River and creating a trough 1,200 yards west of the beach. And the water level beyond the trough rose until it finally all came rushing back. And destruction was the result. In the first few verses of Genesis, God brings forth water and eventually separates and orders water. Initially, there was a watery chaos that smothered any sort of possibility of life until God divided it by his word, until he separated it, until he ordered it. He fixed the firmament to keep the waters above, separated from the waters below, so that there would be an open space where life could, could flourish. Within those boundaries and place, the waters that did exist in the Garden of Eden provided a cool mist, we're told, a refreshing life-giving water in perfect harmony with all of creation. But after the fall into sin, water takes on a, a much more ominous tone. When God saw that human wickedness had increased by exponential proportions, when the true worship of God had been lost on the earth and violence was so bad that no one could live in peace and quietness, violence covered the earth, God removed the boundaries that he had set for the water. For 40 days... And 40 nights, the water not only came from above, but from the fountains of the great deep below. The separation that God had put in place in day two of creation collapsed. And the waters came rushing back in to destroy all life. Except for Noah and his family, eight people in all, along with the animals on the ark. So the sea then was no longer a, a force of, of chaos, a symbol of chaos, but rather an instrument of God's wrath and judgment against sin. That's how bad things had gotten. And yet, Peter, the apostle, reflects on Noah in the New Testament. In his New Testament letter to the Christian church, writing that God actually saved Noah by the waters because of the violence that was all around. Actually saved Noah by the waters. The waters of God's judgment became the salvation for Noah and his family. And the various animal kinds that floated in the ark that God had commanded Noah to build. You and I know that water figures prominently in the salvation history of God's people. So consider Moses. Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. 
Pursued by Pharaoh, you remember the narrative, the children of Israel encountered an enemy even more ferocious than Pharaoh, if that were possible, and that is the sea. And they were trapped. You couldn't go back because they would impale themselves on Pharaoh's swords. He came out there with ill intent. He couldn't go forward. They'd meet a watery grave. But once again, what does God do? He repeats what he did at creation. He separates water from water. The Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground, right? They're not trekking through a brook, right? On dry ground, miraculously. In creation, God had opened up a space where life could flourish. And now he opens up a space where his people could escape. Could depart. Opens up a place for their exodus. Not so with the Egyptians. You know what happens there too. When Pharaoh and his army followed God's people into the sea. God once again took away the boundaries separating water from water. And well, the sea rushed in. Swept away Pharaoh, his army, chariots and drowned all of the Egyptians. The Egyptians, the sea was divine wrath. But for the Israelites... It was God's deliverance. You probably remember that Jesus battled with the sea with his word during the earthly ministry. And it's interesting because you know the story of Leviathan, right? The great serpent that that lives in the sea. And the sea becomes unruly because of his churning. Because of his rebellion. Because of his evil. And Jesus demonstrates his authority over the sea. One day he was asleep in the back of the boat with the disciples and a storm arose in the sea. And the disciples are afraid. Don't you care? We're about to perish. But Jesus rebukes the sea uh, like a petulant child. Quiet down. Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. Our Lord also walked on the sea, no small matter. Job 9, 8 speaks of God as the creator who stretches out the heavens. Isn't that a neat picture? And who, quote, treads on the high places of the sea. And the Greek Old Testament, that's called the Septuagint, renders this verse as God who is the one who treads, I'm sorry, who walks on the sea as on its beds, right? As, as it's uh, solid. And in addition to the creation context of Job, Psalm 77:19 also reminds us of the Exodus and talks about water this way of, of Yahweh. Not just his people, but of Yahweh especially. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we see this come to pass literally in Christ's earthly ministry. And again, we have Leviathan. 
In Revelation, God overcomes Leviathan. He overcomes the sea before his throne is a, a sea of glass. No more chaos, no more unruliness, no more death. It's completely smooth until finally in the new heavens and the new earth, the sea is no more. That is from Revelation chapter 21. This represents the final triumph of God's word over watery chaos. But in the meantime, until the events of Revelation come to pass without remainder, we live in a world still racked with sin and death and chaos, don't we? And I don't know that anyone in the sanctuary would think that a Christian is immune from chaos. We are the baptized. You are the baptized. You are in for the fight of your life. Martin Luther explains that there is a war that is going on inside you. So Marty asks the question about baptism. What does such baptizing with water indicate? And he writes, it indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition, that is sorrow from sin, and repentance, a turning away from that sin, be drowned and die with all sin evil desires, and that a new man should arise and should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And if you say, well, that's Martin Luther, that's not the Bible. Well, let's talk about Paul, who writes something similar in Romans chapter 6. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised... From the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. We are in a battle that rages within us. And baptism is there, again, to drown that old Adam. It's there so that we might be delivered. The small catechism and God's word indeed tells us that baptism is water that is combined with God's word. It's combined with God's promise. And in your baptism, God throws you directly into that battle recorded in the first pages of Genesis. It's no surprise that the Christian life is a struggle. Don't be deceived, right? We have to come to accept the fact that even for Christians, it's not easy. It's not hassle, trouble, and tragedy free. Far from it. And when you look around and see other people in this sanctuary, you might be tempted to think, hey, you know, everybody else around me, they've got it all together. I'm the only one who's a real mess. I'm sorry to report that's true for all of us. We're all a real mess. We are overwhelmed many times by the chaos inside us. That's the struggle. It's why we need God's word. It's why we need to remember God's promise. And let's face it, we also face chaos outside of us as well. Life doesn't turn out the way we want it to many times. Maybe with tragic Things happening in our past, you lost your parents as a child, you lost your spouse early, 
You lost a sibling early. You lost a child even. It's left a huge hole in your life. Or you're single and you don't ever see how you're going to be married and that's what you wanted for your life. Or you don't think that God could possibly love you because of things from your past. Or you have doubts because Christianity just seems implied. It just seems that God wouldn't allow such things to happen. Um, and we can't understand it. Don't fall for it. It is chaos out there. There's chaos in here. There's chaos out there. But these attacks and chaos does not, they do not define you. What you're seeing here is a microcosm of what's playing out in Genesis. You look at that story to understand what is happening. These attacks are images of the primal forces that are at play in creation itself, especially, especially after the fall. Sin, corrupted creation, death, Satan, these are all, it's watery chaos that suffocates life. But baptism isn't just water. It's also God's word intended for our deliverance, intended for our rescue, intended to bring us out of sin, death, and the power of the devil, intended to be our exodus, a means by which we are connected to Jesus. God's word separates water from water and opens up a space where life again thrives. It divides the sea and lets God's people Pass on dry ground. It drowns the old Adam. It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal life to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. For Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In this season of honest repentance, we have to acknowledge that we have been overwhelmed by the forces of sin and evil, not just externally, but internally. But we also acknowledge that we have been joined to Christ. We have his word, which is able to overcome and defeat these powerful forces. You have for you a God at whose rebuke the waters are calm, who crushed the head of Leviathan, that writhing evil serpent. So take heart. Psalm 46 describes God as our refuge and strength, a fortress. And the psalmist writes this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. This is eschatological, right? The end of the old earth, the beginning of the new heavens and new earth. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river 
whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. You are the baptized. You have the life-giving water that connects you to God's promise, God's deliverance. Take heart. Despite the chaos, God is in the midst of his church. God is dwelling among his people. Holy baptism is a means by which God works deliverance among the chaos. Directly, it comes directly to you in your life. And yes, without God's word, that water is just water. Plain water. No baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Through water and the Word, God has delivered you. He has delivered you and has given you a place where life can flourish. And eventually, where that life will be without end. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.